Hello friends, welcome or welcome back. You're listening to Strictly Crime with me, Alex. How are you all doing on this beautiful day? We are back with a new episode, as always. I am so excited because in like five days, it is my birthday on May 2nd. Got my nails done yesterday for my birthday. I am so happy. Um, I've, I actually had the last like five days off. I had a memorial for my grandmother and we like celebrated her life, which was awesome. And I've just been running a lot of errands. I'm glad I requested some days off work because I was able to do my research and get everything I needed to get done in my personal life done. So I've honestly had a good week. I hope you guys have as well. The weather's been great and I'm excited to share a new episode with you guys. As always, you know, these episodes aren't always fun. Obviously, people are dying and going missing and tragedies, but it's good to inform people on this type of stuff, especially the cases that are not solved yet. It's great to talk about them, and I hope you guys enjoy listening. I enjoy researching and, you know, telling you guys all about these crimes and these stories, and I hope you guys are excited as I am. Now, I will be posting an episode next week, even though it is my birthday. I don't think I'll be too busy. I think I'll be okay. And that episode will be on the Springfield 3. So that'll be really awesome to talk about because that is still unsolved. And hopefully one day that can be solved as well. So if you guys are looking forward to that, definitely stay tuned. I know I keep saying I'm going to do a serial killer case and I am definitely researching BTK right now but with those stories the normally they kill four or five six people because they're serial killers and obviously I want to talk about the victims as well so it can be quite a bit of research trying to talk about every victim and go through the whole entire story so I am working on that don't worry, but today's story is all about a boy in the box. And if you guys want to hear about this mysterious little boy, stay tuned. In February 1957, there was a boy and his body was wrapped in a plaid blanket. It was found in the woods off of Susquehanna Road in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. The naked body was inside a cardboard box which once contained a bassinet of the kind sold by J.C. Penney. The boy's hair had been recently chopped, possibly after death, as clumps of hair clung to his body. There were signs of severe malnourishment, as well as surgical scars on the ankle and groin, and an L-shaped scar under the chin. And this is where it all started. The body was first discovered by a young man who was checking his muskrat traps. Fearing that the police would confiscate his traps, he did not report the body. Which to me is like, what the hell are you doing? You care more about your little traps than a boy? But obviously this was quite a few years ago, 1957. So he decided not to report. The boy was discovered in a park in the Fox Fox Chase section of the city by... The muskrat hunter and his name was John Skatchewak, I believe. 
and he, like I said, he didn't report. So then, um, as after he didn't report anything, a few days later, a college student spotted a rabbit running into the underbrush. Um, and this was, like I said, a few days later on February 25th, about 3.45 p.m. And the 26-year-old Frederick J. Benoist, he said he was driving along the Susquehanna Road and he saw the rabbit, like, dash into the underbrush. Uh, his story was originally that he knew that there were animal traps in the area, so he wanted to go and check them to make sure that the like um the rabbit was fine and that's when he came across the body but that's what he had said that he just wanted to check if the rabbit was okay check the traps as well and then he found the boy so he was also reluctant to have any contacts with the police but he did report what he had found the following day after hearing the disappearance of J- Mary Jane Barker so it also had came out that eventually he had actually been in the area spying on students at a nearby school. But this was a long time ago, so stories can get kind of jumbled. But that emerged that he wasn't checking, you know, on the rabbit. He was kind of doing a little bit of risky behavior, you know. So he had actually seen the boy, or the man, he wasn't a boy, he was 26, but... He had seen a news report the next day about this four-year-old girl, which was Mary Jane Barker, and that she was missing. And it was then that he thought he had better called the police, you know, because he found that body. Um, The child in the box ended up being male, and the missing girl was found a week later, and she had actually died from starvation in an abandoned house. So they weren't connected, but like what is with these people if you find a dead body report it like I understand they might ask you questions and interview you but don't just leave a body like in the middle of nowhere in the woods like go and report it I'm sure all of you know that but I don't know what these people were thinking um so like I said the body was found in a box um that was holding that bassinet that was sold by JCPenney. It was around 15 by 19 by 35 in size and featured the words, furniture fragile, do not open with a knife. The box that the boy was found in um, said all of this on it. And like I said, he was wrapped in a plaid blanket. Some people said that it was kind of like a Native American style blanket and had like been cut in half, but... Um, I will post pictures like I always do on Strictly Crime Instagram if you guys want to go follow me over there. Uh, I I don't think... I might post a picture of his face, but obviously not of his body or anything because they have some pretty disturbing pictures online that you can look at, and I'm not going to post any of those. I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, but I might post a picture of just his face that you so you can kind of get an idea of what the little boy looked like. Um, so the blanket was made of an inexpensive, well-worn cotton flannel. It had a faded design of diamonds and blocks that were green, white, brown, and red in color. It appeared to have been recently washed, and an additional piece of it was found inside the box, smeared with automotive grease, and a third 31 by 26 piece was missing from it. 
The boy was described of white and pale complexion, and he's believed to have been between the ages of three and six, meaning he was likely born in 1952. He stood anywhere from three foot to three four weighing only 30 pounds because like I said he was pretty malnourished and he did have blue eyes his hair was matted and seemed to have been recently cut as clumps of it like I said were sticking to his body like after you get a haircut you know how that kind of happens it's so sad this poor boy his body was covered with the scars and his hair was light brown to sandy blonde colored. He was also covered in bruises, which indicated that he had been abused before death. His body was so wasted away that his ribs were showing through his skin. Despite all this abuse, there was no sign of any broken bones. The child had seven scars, three of which indicated possible surgical procedures. Two of them were on his chest and groin and appeared to have healed well, leaving only a hairline trace, while the third one was on his left ankle and looked to have been a cut-down incision made to expose a vein so that a needle could be inserted to give a transfusion or infusion. The other scars included a half-inch uh, one on the left side of his chest, a round, irregular-shaped one on his left elbow, and a well-heeled L-shaped scar on his chin that was about a fourth of an inch long on each side. No vaccination scars were found on his body. The child's right palm and sores of his feet were round and wrinkled, which may have led people to believe that he had been submerged in water or washed around the time of his death. His esophagus also contained dark brown residue, which meant he had probably vomited prior to death. The medical examiner determined that the child had likely died from blunt force trauma. There were four round-shaped bruises on his forehead, and his face was blood-drained. The medical examiner conducted x-ray imaging, and that showed that he suffered from arrested growth which was i'm not really sure what that is i would have to look that up um but that is due to the malnourished and abused he abuse he experienced so that means that arrested growth i'm probably thinking that maybe he didn't grow as fast as he should have that's probably what that means but i'm not that smart so <laughs> that's just what the article said so i put it in there you know i want to use medical terms um, the police fingerprinted the child and cross-checked his footprints in hope of finding a match, but nothing ever came from that. This led them to believe that he was possibly born at home and not in a hospital, as no records could be found. It is believed that the child appeared to have possibly suffered from a chronic eye ailment or infection before he died, which had been treated with medication. He had also been circumcised and had numerous small moles on his body, three on the left side of his face, one below his right ear, three on the right side of his chest, and a large one above his right wrist. Despite all the abuse this poor boy suffered, someone had kept his fingernails and toenails trimmed. His shoe size was 8D, which is what they used back then, I guess. 
John Doe had a full set of baby teeth and is said to have been slightly bucktooth. I think they also call this little boy the unknown boy or something, the unknown child of America or something like that. Um, but the famous name is a boy in the box. So that's just what I am going to title this. So obviously the weather in Philadelphia was cold and rainy. I mean, it was probably terrible, which made it hard to determine a confirmed date and time of death. In the end, the medical examiner estimated him to have died anywhere from a few days to two weeks prior to being found. Obviously, we know at least a few days because there was the two people that had found him but had not reported anything, so at least a couple days. It was thought that it was likely to have just been a few days as the box was dry and it had been raining in the weeks before. So that would make sense. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers with the boy's likeness on it and they were dis- dis- oh my god I cannot speak guys distributed across the area a flyer was also included with every gas bill 270 police academy recruits combed through the crime scene they discovered a man's blue corduroy cap a child's scarf and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. The cap was interesting to police because it had seemed to provide some possible leads. Um, It was in great condition and had a manufacturer's stamp in the lining. And this read, Robin's Bald Eagle Cap, 2603 South 7th Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. When they questioned the shop's owner, Hannah Robbins, they learned that it had been custom for the man who had bought it. According to Mrs. Robbins, he'd been between the age of 26 and 30 with blonde hair and no identifiable, identif- oh my god, I'm just going to give up, identifiable accent. After pur- purchasing the cap with cash, she never saw him again. So, Unfortunately, none of these clues provided anything to help them with the investigation, but that is pretty strange and could, you know, that could be the man that killed this poor boy. A strand of long brown hair was found at the scene and this did not belong to the child. The police received the report and opened investigation on February 26th, 1957, and they did all all that they could do but no information and no one ever came forward with any useful information which is so upsetting you would think that somebody would know this boy unless they weren't saying something for a reason which is probably the case this case attracted massive media attention in philadelphia and the delaware valley the philadelphia inquirer printed all of those flyers and they really tried to make people speak up and just give anything they could. The police also distributed, I cannot say distributed for some reason, Um, they distributed a post-mortem photograph of the boy fully, I don't know why they did this, to me this is kind of like weird but they literally fully dressed the boy the dead boy fully dressed him up like they would if they were putting him in a casket or something 
And then they put him in a seated position, like he's just chilling, and took pictures of him. But they did this because he was unknown. And so they thought, well, maybe if we do this, and he's like sitting up and looking alive, maybe people will recognize him in that position or something. And they hoped this would like lead to a clue, but uh, it didn't, unfortunately. Um, this, do you hear the train? Of course, right as I'm trying to record a train. Um, but this didn't lead to anything. And to this day, the case remains unsolved. Sorry if the train is loud. I can't really tell. Um, I record in like this small little room. So, and we live right next to the train tracks. It's so, it sucks. But anyways, fuck the train. Let's get back to this poor boy's story. So nothing like ever happened. And I understand in the 50s and the early 60s, you know, their investigation skills were not great. I mean, we know that from the Black Dahlia and from numerous other cases. This poor boy, unfortunately, was not able to be identified or they were not able to find his killer. And his case was broadcast throughout the country via uh, police teletype. That's what it's called. People traveled from 10 states to Pennsylvania in an attempt to identify him. An article describing the boy's scars and injuries was also published in a pediatric journal just in case any physician had treated a child with similar injuries, which that's, I will say that's pretty smart because, you know, they didn't have internet. So they relied on books and newspapers and all of that type of stuff. So that's honestly a pretty good idea. Um, the police also went around neighborhoods and checked with every hospital, orphanage, and foster home in that area, but found every child was accounted for. They looked more in the box that the child was found in and a serial number on it allowed investigators to trace the box to a J.C. Penney store in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, located on at 69th Street and Chestnut Street. It had been sold between December 5th, 1956, and February 16th, 1957, for $7.50. A search of record showed that there were only 12 sold, and while police were able to track down eight of the purchasers, the lead turned cold because they were not able to track the other ones. Detectives also tried to track down info based on the blanket that the boy was wrapped in. They discovered that it had been made in either Swahana, North Carolina, or Granby, Quebec. However, as thousands had been produced and shipped across the United States, investigators were unable to pinpoint where it had been purchased. The child was eventually buried in a potter's field in Holmesburg, Pennsylvania, next to Mechanicsville and Dunks Ferry Road. His tombstone read, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown child. For anyone who does not know what a potter's field is, it is a burial place for paupers and strangers, which that's so sad that this young, young boy was not able to be identified. I mean, he could have had a beautiful life and his killer probably 
you know, this was not too, too long ago. So his killer could still be alive today. After nothing came from the media attention given to the case, the police went down the route of having a sketch of the child as a female drawn up. They believed that the boy had possibly made to look like a female when he was alive. Um, they also released the that other photo that I was talking about of um, him sitting up just in case it would jog anyone's memory. Which... I mean, they're trying to think... I'm guessing they only did this because they're literally out of loss. You know what I mean? There's nothing else they can think of at this point. But that is the early investigation and how he was found. After we go on this ad break, we're going to talk about all of the theories that people think happened to him. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. So let's get into some theories. And a lot of these have been disproven on the basis of investigative measures and DNA testing, but why not talk about them, you know? Number one, one of the most researched theories in this case is that the little boy had been the child of a girl who lived at a foster home located one and a half miles away where the body had been found. This theory was one Remington Bristow heavily focused on, and he believed that the John Doe had been the son of Anna Marie Nicoletti, stepdaughter of Arthur Nicoletti, the man who ran the home. According to Bristow, Anna Marie, who is said to have been mentally challenged, had four children out of wedlock. Three who had been stillborn and the other one who had died after being electrocuted in 1955 outside a supermarket. It's believed the boy's death was accidental and the result of the family not wanting word to get out that Anna was an unwed mother because I'm sure you all know at this time you had to be married to have children which is crazy to think but that's just how it was. Um, there was a lot more double standards back then and stuff. In 1960, Bristow contacted a New Jersey-based um, psychic who had told him to look for a house that matched the description of the foster home. When he later brought her to the dump site, she led him directly to the home. Later, upon attending an estate sale at the home, he discovered a bassinet that resembled the one sold at JCPenney, as well as blankets that looked similar to the one the boy had been found wrapped in. Investigators have looked at this angle numerous times over the years, but have found no evidence to support that the Nicolettis were involved in the boy's death. DNA testing done later proved that he was not the son of Anna Marie. Number two, another theory in this case is that he was a victim of human trafficking and suffered severe physical and sexual abuse. This came after a Cincinnati, Ohio-based psychiatrist contacted investigators after a patient by the same, by the name of either M or Mary or Martha told her she wished to speak with them. We're just going to call it her M. M's mother cut the boy distinctive the boy's distinctive long hair 
And this accounting for the long unprofessional haircut, which police noted in their initial investigation, in an effort to conceal his identity. M's mother forced M to assist her in dumping the boy's body in the Fox Chase area. M said as they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk of a car, a passing male motorist pulled alongside to inquire whether they needed help. M was ordered to stand in front of the car's license plate to shield it from view while the mother convinced the would-be Good Samaritan that there was no problem. The man eventually drove off, and this story corroborated confidential testimony given by a male witness in 1957 who said the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene. In spite of the outward plausibility of M's confession, police were unable to verify her story. Neighbors who had access to M's house during the stated time period denied that there had been a young boy living there and dismissed her claims as ridiculous. Uh, also, according to M, her abusive mother had purchased the John Doe from his parents when she was 11 years old, saying she distinctly recalled her mother handing his parents an envelope in exchange for the boy. After that, both he and she were subjected to years of sexual and physical abuse, which eventually resulted in her death. She shared that one evening, he threw up his dinner of baked beans, which led to him being beaten into a semi-conscious state. While his mother tried to clean him up in the bath, he died. In an attempt to conceal his death, M and her mother traveled to that area and removed his body from the trunk and eventually put him in the box. But this just they weren't able to really prove any of this it's kind of just what she said what she said versus what I'm guessing her mother is saying I'm guessing her mother denied this um and there was a statement from a man in 1957 who claimed to have witnessed a mother and her child pulled over in the area around the time the boy was found there were also the fact parts of his body that were water wrinkled, which supported the idea that he'd been bathed before death. However, skepticism was kind of surrounding this, you know, and a search of her home uncovered no evidence. An interview with neighbors revealed that, like I said, no boy was in that home. Upon her name being released through a media outlet, M fled the country and police have yet to say where she relocated. But that's kind of a crazy story. I personally do not think that's true. Just, you know, she could maybe have, if she was herself sexually and physically abused, she might have some trauma and maybe some mental health issues. So I just don't know that I believe that one, but it was one that was widely known and circulated. Another theory is that the little boy may have been raised as a girl, which we were talking about a little bit earlier. This is associated with the release of the 1957 sketch of him with long hair and is supported by his unusual haircut and the strands of hair found on his body. According to reports, his eyebrows also appear to kind of be styled a bit, um, which I really don't think that's a theory as well. I mean, there is more, quote, unquote feminism feminism 
I cannot speak, guys. Um, there's more feminine-looking boys that just have beautiful faces and well-groomed eyebrows. I just, I personally don't think that's really plausible, but it's a theory, so I put it in there. Um, another one that was quickly ruled out uh, surrounded the possibility that the little boy was a Hungarian immigrant whose family came to the U.S. in the 1950s. This was seen as unlikely as immigrants at the time were required to be vaccinated and the little boy did not have a vaccination scar. And the boy he was believed to be was reloc- was located with his family in North Carolina. So that kind of was ruled out. Dave Strout, author of The Boy in the Box, The Unsolved Case of America's Unknown Child, has theorized that the little boy's parents were likely poor, possibly carnival or migrant workers who would have been able to travel without a paper trail, which that probably seems a little bit likely, but it's like, why, why would they kill him or who kills him? You know, that's my biggest thing that is so unknown in this case It's why would anyone kill this little boy? I don't get it. Um, Unless they were trying to get rid of this child. Like if they were maybe, let's use the example of carnival workers. Were they just not able to care for him anymore and just wanted to get rid of him? But why would they keep him for six plus years? You know, if they're saying he's maybe could be six years old. Why would they keep him for that long? You know what I mean? It's just, it really is heartbreaking. Um... I am not a fan of children, but it really does break my heart seeing cases like this and watching a a child be beaten and abused and then just get dumped on the side of the road. Like, whether it's an adult or child, it is absolutely heartbreaking. And this should not happen to anyone whatsoever. And I'm hoping one day, seriously, that something can come out of this because we do have DNA now. And still to this day, it's like, this it's crazy that unfortunately, these are all just theories. Um, another theory is, oh, well, this actually, um, this theory is supported by the 1961 arrest of carnival workers Kenneth and Irene uh, Dudley after their seven-year-old daughter was found deceased in a wooded area in Virginia wrapped in a blanket with signs of abuse and malnourishment. Several other children had also gone missing, with many having passed away as a result of neglect and abuse, but none of them were found, and um, none of these were also the unidentified boys. So, But that kind of, to me, kind of sounds plausible. Maybe it wasn't this family, but maybe it was a different family that did this. Um, Two authors have suggested that the little boy is the deceased brother of a man currently living in Memphis, Tennessee. After speaking to a Philadelphia resident, they learned of a family who had rented a home from him. They had sold their son and suddenly left the area not long after the news of the murder of the little boy broke, leaving behind items that were seen as necessity for everyday life. Philadelphia's former assistant medical examiner was questioned about this, and he noted that there were similarities between John Doe and his potential father and brother, particularly in the nose, facial structure, and the ears. He said these similarities alone were 
enough to warrant further testing. So DNA from the man in Memphis was obtained in 2014, but investigators stated they needed more evidence in order to have it tested. This finally occurred in December 2017, three years later, which confirmed that there was no familial connection, unfortunately. A quickly ruled out theory that was that the little boy was the son of a New Jersey-based roofer. However, when his wife was shown an image, she didn't believe him to be her son, who was later found with his father watching TV and eating a sandwich. Some have speculated that Frederick J. Benoist, the college student who discovered the body and reported it to police, was involved in his murder. While he voluntarily took a lie detector test and was cleared by investigators, Proponents of this theory cite the unreliability of polygraph testing, which I do agree with that as well. If you are literally crazy in the head and like a psychopath, you can pass those tests. If you are so confident in yourself, easy peasy, passed. Me personally, I would fail every single time. If I did it or not, I'm failing because I am... um, really anxiety ridden and so I wouldn't be able to pass something like that so I don't know if that would really help I mean he did pass but it does make you question how he found the body definitely a little weird Um, a final theory is that the little boy was Stephen Deman a young boy who went missing from New Jersey on Halloween 1955 His mother, Marilyn DeMann, had left her two children outside while she went into the grocery store. But when she returned, she found they were both missing. Her infant daughter, Pamela, was eventually discovered a block away, still in her pram, but Stephen was nowhere to be found. And I don't, I didn't um, find, like, what happened after that, but who knows, if he still hasn't been able to be found, I'm guessing they should probably... I wonder if they, like, DNA tested her, but that's also a theory. Um, personally, obviously, I I don't want to seem biased or anything, but I'm just, you know, I like giving my opinion. Um, I personally think that someone did something terrible to him, as we know, and they did everything they possibly could to make sure he would never be able to be identified. Um, Now, it does make a lot of sense that maybe it was a poor family who wasn't able to get vaccinations for their child, very neglected, and eventually they couldn't be able to go along with the child anymore and keep the child with them, and so they abandoned the child. Um, It could have been an accident, and they tried to maybe you know, hide the child in the box. Either way, this poor child really deserves some answers. In 1998, the body of the child was exhumed to obtain DNA from the enamel of his teeth. The DNA was sent to the University of North Texas and entered into both national and local databases. Unfortunately, no hits came from this. The boy in the box was then re-entered in a grave marked America's Unknown Child in Ivy Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia. The cemetery donated the plot while the son of the man who buried John Doe in 1957 donated the coffin. Headstone and money for the funeral service as well. The service garnered 
significant public attention and residents continue to keep the grave decorated with stuffed animals and flowers. In 2016, two writers, one from the LA um, California region, Jim Hoffman, and the other from New Jersey, Lois Romano, explained that they believe they discovered a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee, like I said. And they really tried to compare this, and that lead just went nowhere. I mean, you would think that with all of this work that they were doing, they would be able to get some sort of hit, but they have investigated it, like I said, but nothing came out and there was no connection. And, you know, after he was re-put in that plot, I'm guessing we're just waiting on a hit from a database or something because nothing has happened since then. He is just there in his grave, uh, in his new grave since 1998. And the coffin, it, it does have, I mean, not the coffin, the gravestone does have the words, America's unknown child. And, you know, they do have his DNA, dentals, and fingerprints available for comparison, but that's all they can do. I get, they're just literally waiting until they can get some sort of answers. I'm hoping one day, you would think that there would be one family member, but if it was, you know, a poor person that was kind of like a nomad and traveling, who really knows? Maybe this person was never, never got medical attention or never went to the doctor. So it depends, you know, if these people or person who either was his mother or father or who took him if they really wanted to be unknown and off the grid, I mean, it, it's looked like they have been able to for this long. And it's really just terrible for this young boy because, because of whoever did this to him or whoever his parents were, you know, that really affects this case and it really stumps people. I had heard about it, but I never really like dove into this case and really reading about it, it's just so mind-boggling. It's like, how is there no hit yet? It's crazy. But anybody with information regarding the identity of John Doe are asked to contact the Homicide Division of the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-3334. Tips can also be called into the Philadelphia County Medical Examiner's Office at either 215-685-7445 or 215-685-7458. And that is all the information we have on this little young boy. He, you know, from the pictures I was able to kind of look at, he does look so sweet and innocent. And it's like... I don't understand how, one, you could kill a person, um, but to kill a child, to dump a child's body in the woods, it is absolutely horrendous. And one day we will get answers for this young boy. I wish we could give him a name, a beautiful name, um, but unfortunately he's just known as the America's unknown child and... 
that's it. It's just so upsetting. Let me know what you guys think because we went over a good amount of theories. Um, I just hope something can be done for him. At least he has a beautiful grave where people can go and put flowers and stuffed animals. I mean, that truly is beautiful. And, um, I'm just hoping something can happen one day. I really hope you guys enjoyed this case. I know it's not like a good ending. A lot of my stories obviously don't have good endings, but you know, at least he's able to rest in peace in a beautiful grave um, with, you know, lots of people who love and care for him. I mean, all of America is fighting for him and trying to figure out what happened. And that is truly beautiful. So definitely stay tuned for next week. We're going to be talking about the Springfield 3, which is another crazy mystery. Um, So definitely stay tuned for that. I hope you guys enjoyed sitting here with me and I will talk to you guys next week. I will be officially 20 years old next episode. So I'll be really excited and definitely follow me on Strictly Crime Instagram. I'm going to post, like I said, uh, I'm going to post maybe one picture of his face. Like, I don't, if you guys have triggers with, like, death, like, seeing dead, like, it's one thing to hear about a true crime case, but it's another thing to literally see that. Um, But I'll probably only post, like, one picture of his face because, personally, I don't feel comfortable sharing, you know, his dead body. I mean, it's posted all over Google, and I just don't really feel comfortable with that. But I will post, like, the blanket he was wrapped in, the box um, his gravestone, all of that stuff. So if you guys want to go follow me over there, definitely go check it out and definitely also follow me on Strictly Crime TikTok because I've been really trying to get more followers on there and post some little snippets of my new episodes and everything. So thank you guys so much for sitting with me and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.